0: Hello everyone and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Chai with Rai. To all of the returning listeners and to all of the new listeners, I hope you're having a swell day, a swell evening, a swell night, just a swell time. Chai with Rai is a show I like to call my digital jukebox of hidden gems in which I reach out to working creatives in the entertainment and fitness industry. In the episodes we discuss all things from life lessons to politics to socialism, culture, history, the digital space and of course the industry itself. Now just a little backstory of the show. Chai with Rai is a pre-recorded live show which I transfer to podcasts. So to watch any of the videos of the show, simply go to YouTube and just type in Chai With Right to find the relevant episode. You can also find the information on the episode itself or the guest in the bio or the description of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, comment and share the podcast. Your support really helps the show and the message of it grow. Also make sure to follow the amazing people that are on the show and give them some love. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. I hope you got your cup of chai ready. I know I do, I've got a bit of an adrak chai. For those of you who do not know what an adruk chai is, it's basically a ginger chai, but I've decided to put my own spin onto it because this bloody cold is just not leaving me. So I've got like a nice bit of ginger, a nice bit of turmeric, a nice bit of honey and lemon in there and trying to cleanse myself. But Let's get on to today's episode. I am so excited because we have Maven Cole and Maven is a terrific, terrific and brilliant dance artist, teacher, choreographer and an artist scholar based in the UK. We came across each other when I did the live with Raymond and we stayed in touch and I researched on Maven and I was just like, oh my God, your resume and who you are as a person is just Mind-blowing! He is known for being one of the few Bharatnatyam artists who have created a niche as an international touring solo artist and crossed over successfully into the classical ballet and contemporary world, which I talked about in a couple of episodes before. How there aren't still enough contemporary or classical South Asian dancers out there, and when I say that, I don't mean in the sense of lyrical or modern. So maven's work and just researching on him i was just blown away and so inspired by him and in such awe of him and i'm just gonna list some of the credits or some of the people that he has worked with because you're gonna get astounded by it as well he has worked with the likes of wayne mcgregor akram khan he has his own company maven co um shabana Jaya singh and christopher bannerman just to name a few and those are some powerful names in the dance industry so maven I salute you, and I was so, so honoured that you did this episode, and everybody, let's get your cup of chives ready, and let's dive into today's episode, and for me to stop rambling, (laughs) let's do this. I was watching so many of your interviews, and I was like, wow, just like the people were going through your resumes, and there's this, what is this, or there's this, um, Beautiful lady who's pronouncing everything right. And I was like, I'm going to butcher all of these. I know it. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, How first, of,
1: first of all, I apologize because I look like shit. No, um, you don't.
0: Um, you actually look better than me. And I love, th- I love the color of your shirt, by the way. But you. before we get into all of these, I like to warm up all of my guests, by the way. So we're going to play a quick little game. And I love your, te- uh, your mug's color, by the way. It is called the five-second rule. I will name something. So I will give you a category and you have to name three things within five seconds. Are you ready to play right. the five second rule? The first thing you have to do is name three apps on your phone that are a must that you cannot live without. Are you ready? Yeah. And the timer starts now. Uh, Facebook, Instagram and my emails. Wow. That is, you're the first person to ever get that right. Everybody always struggled. Name three songs to listen to get over heartbreak. Go oh
1: diana uh, uh Jonas summers um oh. I love you baby um i oh. love to listen to like um uh, old malay songs actually so I, i'll okay. say if guitar and Jeeva, you wouldn't know it and uh probably i like to the heartbreak part of it so i would go like with old school with houston okay
0: cool you do know five seconds was up right
1: yeah but, okay, whatever yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right three things we will find in your fridge go
1: Butter, eggs, and rice.
0: Butter, egg, and rice. All in the same. (laughs) Name three animals starting with the letter M. Pass. Wow. It's so Name three take that songs you would sing while
1: showering. Uh, Want you back? (laughs) That's it. That's it that's it three that times is, that-, that is that is really bad because i i was a huge i mean a huge take that fan. <laughs> like i cried when they broke up
0: yeah and- which is w- was going to be one of my first questions after we did like all of our like hellos how have you been and blah 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 yeah. in all of my research
1: mm-hmm. in all of
0: my research that i found of you
1: take that you know what i always say when people ha- when people have these Snobbery. No, no, no! It's not snobbery. I'm just saying, take that. Well, I just wouldn't guess you as a take that person. Let me give you some context. First of all, take that for me, and you have to, you have to almost close your eyes and picture this. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna closing my eyes. Exactly. A young boy, uh, you know, who grew up in Malaysia and India, whose whole idea of London was Top of the Pops VHS videos that I would rent once a week. And watch, and then arriving in London, uh, and and take that. This is 1992, 1993. Yeah. So take that was 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 it? So for me, take that is such a nostalgic memory of such a young, innocent Maven who arrived in London with all these dreams. Um, so it, it, I love take that. I still love take that. I prefer it when Robbie is in it. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm a Take That fan very much so. But listen, I listen to Bach and, and uh, TM Krishna all the time as well. I,
0: I <laughs> know, but Take That was just... And my question on that was going to be, when do you think they will reunite next? And will Robbie ever come back?
1: They won't because Gary Barlow is doing these dodgy, uh, dodgy things on, on social media now. So I think Robbie is a bit like no-go. Yeah, but Robbie's done dodgy stuff as well. So like, you know, it's, it's like... Robbie's kept... <laughs> doing dodgy stuff when he got married. Hey,
0: we could talk take that and top of the pops all day. Wait, who would be the girl bands of the that era?
1: Rama, of course.
0: Mm. I w- I don't know why my head straight went to Atomic Kitten. No, you see you're you're how old are you? You're a young
1: kid. Nick, compared to I'm you. wait, I'm in my 30s. Yeah, no my my generation is Bananarama. Bananarama. Uh, yeah. But uh, I'm a massive and still am a massive fan of the Minogue sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean massive. Um I love, love Kylie bits. I actually love Danny even more.
0: Um yeah. Can I just say a fascinating story? The fact that you have just brought up the Minogue sisters. Yeah. The first moment I got introduced with your brother, as you call him, Akram Khan, mm-hmm. was when he worked with Kylie Minogue on right. the showgirls. That yeah. is how I got to know of an existing person. That is working in contemporary because before that, I thought Asian people could just never cross over into contemporary. Mm-hmm. I thought you couldn't do conceptual work, you couldn't do anything, you had to be either Iranian, Israeli, and, like you can only be a half or you could only be anything. You couldn't be South Asian and work in contemporary. And when I saw him, and I was like, oh, this is so intriguing. Yeah, and, th- and then I started watching Daesh and like other pieces of his work, and then I got to know Kesha Dedra, and then through Raymond, I got to know you, and I'm just like my mind is like blown these well, days.
1: Raymond is my my heart, you know. He's he's coached yeah. me for since the age of I think 23, so that's like you know, wow. uh, over more than 20 years of um of someone who has guided my. You you know something interesting about Raymond. I always say that um. You know, it was such, it's such a big transition for a dancer to shift into that space where they really embrace the fact that they are mature performers and no longer young virtuosos. Yes. I, I was a young virtuoso. And, um, and Raymond is the one who really helped me navigate this <laughs> process, this whole shift into uh, a different kind of dancing as I got older. So I, I owe a huge amount of debt to him.
0: Raymond is full of stories. I will just, I'll finish my class at DanceWorks or I'll finish like doing a class and Raymond I've is around. i never brown... seen you
1: at class at DanceWorks. Have, have you that. not? No, I'm very
0: good at hiding myself at classes. Yeah, I see. I... I'm
1: always right at the front.
0: No, i i am am I'm the person who will come to class and I'll be in the corner, like yeah. literally in the corner and I'll be wearing like... A sweaty hoodie, and like I'll be like in the corner, and then when it comes to like you know how you do corner work, I'll mm. just I'll somehow manage to skip as the crowd is going over there, and there's two people that have gone over there. I'll slowly make my work to the other side, and I just won't do the corner work because I'm so ashamed to do corner work. You need
1: to change that. Well, my dancing days are behind me, which we're gonna get to. But well, it's interesting because you know, as a as a artist, I I really have never really given a shit about critics or or but for me <laughs> teachers have always been really important so in class I'm I'm uh that's the only place where I really like um um seek validation actually really? yeah fascinating yeah well how are you how is
0: it week let's get into that now as as we've already done everything else but how are you how's your week
1: i'm, I'm okay uh, uh we're very busy at the moment uh because you know things are starting to open up which means we're starting to uh, prepare to go on tour again we're starting uh the risk r&d for a new creation next week um but it's it's funny because it's almost double the load of work now because we've also spent a whole year kind of developing a whole um, digital aspect to our work uh, which of course is not going to stop now so Mm -hmm. so it's like triple the load of work that's happening at the moment Uh, but saying that I just I just refuse to be complacent because I really understand the place of privilege I sit in and and you know being able to be creative I'm I am very connected as you know to to india my 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 lot most of the my close people aside from my family are still in 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 in, in india and uh, india is going through the most horrendous horrendous time at the moment yeah um i i i had such a, a an odd sensation a week ago so i i just got my vaccination on sunday oh, and, wow. and i was able to choose the day i wanted to get vaccinated right so i was oh, wow i was like okay i can't be in the week because we're rehearsing so let me make sure it's in the weekend <clears throat> and then i just felt so guilty because i was like fuck what a privilege to be able to choose the day and time that i need mm. to get vaccinated um so i'm consistently going through this uh, uh attention of emotions where uh, i'm happy that things are starting to open up um I refuse to be complacent about work and I feel a bit guilty about the privilege of where I am.
0: I get you in regards to India and I think we spoke in regards to it but I think I think people need to also acknowledge dare I say it and I think like it's been controversial when I bring it up which is like India is not the only place that's suffering like there's other places around the world and I think this 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 needs to be a discussion in regards to like a global political statement and i think people need to if you can't donate if you can't do anything i think it's about bringing awareness just to the forefront and having a discussion in regards to
1: yeah listen it's it's a whole uh, re- uh, re- revealing of all kinds of political systems that i um, you know not just of course india is going to resonate with me because i know a lot of people there so it's a very direct relationship yeah of, of you know directly knowing people who have who have lost them um, Families and mothers and, and children and all sorts of stuff. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's highly complex. I'm also at the grand old age of forty five, a bit cynical about where the true change will happen. I think I think we are, we belong to a system where it's also very easy to um, um, assume that we can solve problems by you know very quickly kind of you know uh, uh, um, fixing a problem. Mm for you know issues that are going to take very long and challenging times of understanding and listening and negotiation so this yeah this makes me a bit cynical i would say um of course you know we were all kind of engulfed and are still engulfed in the politics of you know racial injustice um and i kind of sit back and 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 watch or well, just in the industry that i belong in the art sector how their perceived notion of solving the problem is. And I just find it very temporary and very, um and still kind of being set by a particular community of uh, people who always will be in charge uh, and, and, uh, and are still there. So yeah, I'm very cynical. I, 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 you know, I'm very funny. I kind of hide, I think sometimes behind the shadow of Akram because it's a space that I feel very safe to be very creative, in the most honest <coughs> way that I know, yeah. Because I really hate industry. To you, actually? Oh, I can't stand it. I think it's full of bullshit. Absolutely. <laughs> and and more and more, I find myself. Um, I would honestly rather save my money month by month and hire a warehouse and just do my work there, because yeah. because I feel that that it's so easy for our our true sense of ownership of our art to be completely taken away from us. And I I just don't believe in that, that element of sending an email and waiting for seven months for some young producer to get back to you. That's bullshit. I've danced and worked too hard for too long.
0: Do you not think, though, at the end of the day... <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to be coughing. This cough is not That's going it. away. Do you not think, though, that in order to be a... Oh, I hate this word, but like a successful artist or company holder in today's age.
1: It's artistic integrity versus business and politics. is completely like... Well, success is a very complex word. And I think identity is a complex word as an artist. Yeah. One of the things I always ask dancers is, what defines, what? who are you, right? Who are you? What defines your identity? And I think one of the most important things that I I feel quite strongly. And to be honest, it's one of the things that I'm very proud about myself is that for me, the love that I have to do class every day is what has kept me, that has been my identity. My identity as a dancer has been the fact that I get up every day and dance. It has never been dependent on the work that I get to dance. And I say that's very important because then, regardless of whether I am working or not working, mm-hmm. I'm very secure about the fact that I am a dancer. Uh, and so for me, that you know is a, that that is where I've succeeded, that I have sustained that that sense of knowing who I am because because I get up every day and I do a class. And I think, the I think that's, <clears throat> that this is slightly shifting and and i know it because i of course sit also now in a position where you know i take auditions and i choose dancers and I, you know and it's very interesting to to understand what young dancers perception of ambition is and it's complex and 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 i i and i say this very clearly many times that i don't blame the the young dancers i blame my generation of dancers because somewhere along the line our ability to share uh, and 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 nurture has has got lost, and so I do feel that I love young dancers. I love working with young dancers, um, and and I do feel that there's a tremendous amount of thirst and and love and desire to work, but definitely that there's always a sense that I feel that I need to work with them in refinding their love for dance as opposed to their love. For their ambition, hmm. and that's a very complex place. It is, yeah. And, and the whole, and this also comes, of course, with the notion of professionalism, right? Because to be a professional is when you think you are a dancer, i.e., that you have a job dancing from ten to six, which, of course, is absolute nonsense for several reasons. Because I know most of my friends in India or in in Asia who don't have an infrastructure that define dance as a job, and if mm-hmm are wonderful deep artists because they live dance that's number one and number two that real negotiation of understanding that you have a job to do but that you don't dance a job
0: i think there's different constructs isn't it because i think that would always i think that that would always be like i have friends who are dancers in turkey who are just absolutely hard working and they look they're like oh I want to come to London and I want to do this and then you I see dancers here and it's a completely different mindset in regards to I want to work with this person this person I want to earn this I want to do that I want to have this by the end of the when I'm 30 I want to you know do this and it's a completely different mindset and when you go to class you don't think about simply identity search or like training you think about showing off a little bit
1: well i think but... you as a young person of course you do all of us did i you know as, as when we we're young we love to show off but there's something that with the right teacher that happens which is that that particular um and that's why teachers are the most important you know they're the most important factor here because there's something about instilling this this love to to discover to discover right Um and and of course what you're saying you know it the point that I'm making is that it is highly nuanced as well and so there's mm-hmm. no black and white but of course we belong to an industry that increasingly is trying to give us a sense of black and white right and that's very po- problematic in a whole world that is nuanced and so there lies there lies a, a huge issue I think Also, I I have to say this. I mean, one of the things that I really learned when I was, um, I was director of a state company in Malta for a few years. And when you're the artistic director of a company, one of the things you very quickly learn is that everyone has a different journey with dance and they are all, they are Mm -hmm. all um, viable, right? What I mean by that is because I am the kind of artist who, whether I'm at work or not at work, dance is my life and I'm unashamedly, uh, open about that, right? Mm-hmm. But there are dancers who really want to say, "I will dance from ten to six, and then don't call me after six o'clock." Now, ten years ago, if you asked me that, I would be hugely judgmental on who, you know, on how. That's how is that possible? Blah blah. blah. Yeah. So one of the things I really learned as a as a director is that different people have different needs with dance. Um, what I do say is, though, if you are a, a dancer who who very efficiently and beautifully does a jobbing job, then you don't belong in certain kinds of companies Mm -hmm. (laughs) that work very differently, you know. So I think it's very important for dancers to have an intelligence or they are intelligent to tap into their intelligence, to really understand where they sit, what is the community by which they really feel um, uh, that they belong to, Uh, Because as we know, even within that industry, there are completely different ways of thinking and completely different ways of embracing this idea of dance. And I think that's important.
0: I wanted to ask this question based on my research. Is, when it comes to classical Indian dancing, is dancing religious or do you need to have a sense of Spirituality or religious belief, in order to do that sort of work or your work that you have created, because a lot of it when I was watching and how you talk about it and how you passionately talk about certain things, when you talk about having a psychology of audience or when you talked about your previous performances, and if I'm saying the word right or not right, I didn't get them. But mm-hmm.
1: okay, yeah,
0: yeah, certain things. So I just wondered, like, can you be of no faith and simply can you get into the pocket and then call yourself a paratnati or an Odyssey
1: or a Catholic dancer or not really? Uh you use the word faith, which I think is an interesting thing because I think I uh, I don't think you need to um, uh, necessarily be someone who believes in the kind of um, philosophical tradition of of Hindu, Hinduism, right? In terms of, you know, gods and goddesses and stuff like that. Um, uh, uh, but I think you have to have a tremendous conviction of faith. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by faith is um, it, can, it can kind of span a concept of energy to a concept of something that is transcendental uh, to something that is virtuosic. But that there is a conviction about that. Now, I think what is important for me, and this is after so many years of dancing, right? um, Is that when you talk about dancers, right? I think at that point, you really kind of define an Indian classical dancer, a Bharatanatyam dancer, a Kathak dancer, a ballet dancer, a contemporary dancer, blah, blah, blah. But after so many years of working with so many artists, when you start talking about artists Mm -hmm. and deep artists, you will find that the manner of approach to the dancing is similar regardless of what the form is. So I can sit and I can coach Alina Kojakaro or talk about dance with Alina. And as an Indian dancer, and she as a classical ballet dancer, the way we... Execute and immerse ourselves and enter the psychology of the performer is absolutely identical. It's just that I happen to be doing a vocabulary that is that is Bharatanatyam and she's classical ballet. So I think I think there's a there's a huge. I've always said this that there's a huge difference um, when one is uh, 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 working as a dancer and when one starts starts. To, of course, you have to go through that dancer phase, but when one starts to Delve into a journey that is about being an artist, um, because then all those elements like God, <laughs> uh, of of form or steps that define it as being this is Bharatanatyam or this is ballet, become very incidental. These things are very um, intangible, you know. And one of the things that I've really learned over the years is the power of the intangible in dance, which is ironic because dance is such a tangible visual thing that one sees in front Mm -hmm. of them. But when you have a great artist in front of you, it is everything that cannot be seen that suddenly becomes an experience. I agree with that. I think there's a lot of performances that I will
0: watch. Um, For example, I have... Like one of my best friends, she works for Half Fish and I watch her and I said to her, I went to watch Clowns or I watched Rombert performances on Akram and I'm just like, I watch it and it's just movement. And I think about so many dancers that can do that or so many people that can move like that. I was like, what is it that separates it? What is it that, because I can't sometimes understand it. So is it is it just that I'm too dumb for it? That i just can't oh. understand eh or it's it's something that's much more profounding or
1: that i just cannot relate to yeah i think it, I think it often depends on who you see yeah <laughs> you know many people sometimes when they say to me i went to see a ballet and i didn't get it and i feel really stupid about it and i'm like well maybe you just didn't see so- someone amazing because yes. because i yeah, you know i know that that you know some, sometimes when i sit in in a good i'll give you a good example Um, um, when I was once, um, you know, I coach Akram's work a lot and they were doing until the lions, which is in the round, was in the roundhouse. Yes. Right. Um, and until the lions is a highly complex work because it's based on a, on a section from the Mahabharata with Amba and Shikanti and, and, uh, Bhishma. And it's, you know, it's very complex story already. And then set within this kind of contemporary abstract uh, space. And uh, it was such a fascinating uh, moment because at the end, I, I know all the dancers well. I coach them so much, they're all like my kids and I know the work so well. Um, and I was, and I just started to cry. And the amazing thing is uh, I could feel, you know, the roundhouse is massive. And when you can feel the whole of roundhouse just have this, suspend. And you could hear little uh, people sniffling, right? Oh, God. And for me, what was amazing is I, who know all these dancers and know the story so well, blah, 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 still found so much in it that moved me so much. And 90% of the audience who didn't have a clue about what the story was Mm -hmm. also were so moved that they could cry. That is... That is when performance transcends really culture, mm-hmm. form, yeah. Um, because one of, the, one of the interesting things with Akram's performances is many times we have audiences that have never come to see dance. So yes, then what is it that, that, has, that has transcended any sense of them feeling the need to understand? And one of the biggest things that I've learned from him when I coach his work is that, And it's a very specific uh, direction. Of course, not everyone wants this. But his main thing is always the work has to touch first and then later become something that they can think about. He never wants the work to be something that audiences have to think about. It's never from an intellectual perspective. It's from an emotional experience perspective. And then, hopefully, that the work is crafted well enough that they will leave the theatre and three days later they'll be able to sit and analyse it in like a good Amadova film. <laughs> right? And that's a very specific approach. Yes. It's a very specific approach. Um, but it's one that I believe in tremendously and, and, and I think, you know, there lies also that conviction for me with Akram's work. I, I, I'm so convinced by it uh, that that it's such a it's such a, a privilege for me every time i restage it or coach it or yeah teach it
0: it's interesting you're talking about coaching because my next question was going to be you did this you did this interview which was the Sankata interview in which you thoroughly discuss your relationship with your with your guru Lakshman sir yeah. and you talk about the difference between a teacher and a guru and how a guru transcends the the concept of dance and you talk about um is it guru and shashya? Guru which Shishya. is guru Shashya, which to my understanding if I'm talking about is a teacher and a protege if I don't know a, really. a guru and disciple now that you teach and you coach what would you say where would you sit
1: I'm a coach. You're a coach. Uh, yeah. A guru is a huge responsibility. I mean, I'm, I'm just like, and also, uh, I've I've said this many times before. I don't think we live in a world today, unfortunately, and this makes me very sad because my experience of the Guru Shishya tradition was such an amazing, wondrous, miraculous uh, part of my life and one that has really constructed who I am today. Um, I don't think it's possible to have that kind of relationship anymore today. And I know a lot of Indian dance teachers call themselves guru. uh, But I do think that there's a difference. You know, I was a 10 year old kid and and this master saw me and said, come and live with me. I mean, I don't think any, any one, any parent would just send their 10 year old son to another country Mm -hmm. to grow up and live sleeping on the floor next to a man for, uh, for seven years of his life. You never know. You never know. Well, I mean, it will be amazing if it does, but it's a highly complex world that we live in today. Yeah. And, and also the whole notion of, uh, I think both myself and Akram had this. We never had a sense of, we're talking about ambition, right? We never had a sense of what it would lead to. Even my parents, it amazes me that they, that they were so giving in terms of me, Pursuing this without any sense of, well, what will this lead to, Mm -hmm. you know, and that element of not expecting something from it has been the biggest gift for me because again, it leads to that thing, whether I'm programmed or whether a producer likes me or whether I'm performing or not or not performing. I know that dance is my life for my whole life. And no one, no one can take that away from me. I'm not dependent on anyone to keep me dancing. And that's a hugely empowering space to be in.
0: But don't you think, I think at the end of the day, if you melt down everything, it's about life experience. It's about of the course. energy, the relationship. Do you, is it the fact that is it? it's just the title that holds such a such a weight? Or is it the fact that, you just don't think that that's where you could be because you're com- you're comparing yourself then to the people before you and what the lineage they have.
1: It's about me also uh, as a man, right? Understanding my own selfishness and what I want for my life as well, yeah? Uh, and as a queer man as well, right? And also, it's also for me, I, as I said in that interview, uh, as much as, as my relationship with my guru was amazing and he was just such an incredible man, I also feel that there is a tremendous privilege and, and beauty in being a coach and there's a tremendous privilege and beauty in being a, just a teacher. I love being a coach. I love it. And I know I'm very good at it. And I take that with a lot of responsibility. Um, uh, so it's not that I feel any less For being a coach And not a guru You know um, I feel that it it's, it sits well with me
0: We're going to move on to masculinity And in that same um, Complex word being... <laughs> Well, I, I mean like I struggle with it till this day And I think that word is very triggering But I'm intrigued to know your take You talk about Oh, I'm going to pronounce this so incorrectly but is it Jaikur, Jaikurara? There's this piece that you do, which is given to you by oh, your Guru. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Um, one of the gurus also mentioned, why isn't Babing doing Bhakti Bhakti Best Vandam? Yeah.
1: So I'll I'll tell this story. You know, I was... Yes, please. Oh God. And correct my. Well, you know, when I was a kid in in India, when I was growing up, <clears throat> uh, as you know, Bharatanatyam. Essentially, majority of the dancers are female dancers, and particularly with solo work, it's a solo. It's a solo tradition, really. And within the, 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 just for audiences that might not know the details of it, within the kind of prescription of, I guess, the thematic content of, of, of the genre, a huge element of it is is um, love, and it is erotic love. So, because a lot of the works are drawn from uh, traditional courtesan uh, repertoire. Um, uh, this idea of erotic love for God is a very prominent one. And it's a very beautiful idea because really the idea is that in order to achieve uh, salvation, one first consummates with God physically. It's like Sufis in many ways. I've always been very connected to this particular tradition. But when I was growing up in India, you have to remember that India is a heavily colonized country. Right. And it's a very class and caste based country and the dominance of the middle and upper class uh, Brahmin community on this genre of Bharatanatyam means that essentially that the thinking of it is very defined by a majority of people who are very imperialist in their thinking, actually, you know, you know, India and Malaysia is one of those places where still, you know, if you want good education, you go to England. Really still. Right. Right. Um, so that means there's a very clear idea of perceptions of masculinity on, on what it is to be a woman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so a lot of the male dancers, well, almost all the male dancers when I was growing up, would always do pieces of repertoire that were completely devoid of anything sexual, sensual, erotic. It would always be purely devotional. Mm-hmm. My guru was an amazing man. He just had this this amazing... Liberal vision, um, and as a particularly as a child performer, I was extremely androgynous as well, right? And so, and I really uh, lent myself to these kind of courtesan pieces, mm-hmm. if you like. And you know, by the time I was I was sixteen, I was very lucky. I was spotted, and I was. Really performing in main slots in the festivals and stuff like that, and so yes, that particular in a long, long way around I'm coming to that story. So <laughs> no, in one of the, I was I was inaugurating a, a, the season of of one of the festivals, and I was performing a, a piece, a long piece, which was from the courtesan uh, 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 era. And one another senior male guru came up to my guru and I said, uh, "You know, why is Maven dancing? You know these these pieces. You know, he as a he's a man. He should he should be dancing um, devotional pieces." And my guru is so sweet. I won't say it in Tamil because in Tamil it's more beautiful. But he said, you know, Maven doesn't have, I don't want him to, to dance like a man. I just want him to dance. You know? And this idea of dance like a man has for me always been problematic. And Raymond will tell you, actually, even as a young ballet dancer, I used to detest doing the boys class and I would always be going and learning the girls variations. And And the reason is, it used to frustrate me as a young dancer. I just felt that all my all my friends who were women could just dance. Yeah. No one was telling them to dance like women. They were just dancing. Whereas all the boys were con- consistently being infused with this thing, you know, make sure you dance like a man and make sure you dance like a man. And it was just slowly but surely you ca- kind of saw, started to feel that any element of creativity was being drummed out of them first and foremost so that they could take out anything that was graceful or lyrical or sensuous or you know and it was just such bullshit and I just never never resonated with it. Do you think if you hadn't done that piece because for me
0: obviously not knowing your story and then hearing about that and in dance especially like in classical ballet and knowing about Bharatanatyam and the constructs of masculinity and what sexuality is for a man do you think if you didn't do that piece, and if your guru didn't push you towards that, you would have fallen into those constructs of masculinity, or you would have had this wantingness always to be like to do, as you mentioned, in the ballet class? Always, I
1: would have always had that 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 pulling and and that 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 urge to do it, and this is where you know. I always talk about teachers and, and gurus and, and coaches. Um, when it's right, when the chemistry is right, it is predestined. You know, because I really, I remember even one of my ballet teachers, man St. Clair, Raymond will tell, her, tell you about her. Again, this was at that time, this is before ballet, Tocodero and all, you know, were coming to London and stuff like that. Uh, one day I was doing class and she just looked at me and she said, why don't you try going on point? <laughs> that's beautiful and for many years i used to do class on point and i've done performances on point as well in fact the first duet that i danced with wayne was on point (laughs) wow so i was very lucky that i had teachers even within the classical ballet tradition that somehow saw in me something that was different and were so giving in allowing me to explore that part of it you know who it, there, there's a reason why I was never interested in joining a ballet company in my life, Well, because I would never, I would never have been able to find this very specific way of moving within this classical ballet style. Um, and 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 thank God I didn't, because then I really started having instead work being made on me <laughs> specifically. For me, it's all about conviction. Yeah, you can be whatever you want, but if you are absolutely convinced about that identity that you want to place people will believe it, but you have to be open to the fact that some people won't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very important part of, of, of uh, embracing the idea of the artist in you is about a conviction in what you believe. Right. And also really, uh, really, if you are at that space of wanting to make a definite statement, if you like, really be humble enough to understand that you are creating a discourse you know, and when, what I mean by that is that some people will buy it and some people won't. Yeah. You know, uh, the boys. The piece with the eight boys was a very interesting thing because I, I never think of myself really as a choreographer. As I said, I, I really am a coach. I made that piece really through the encouragement of Akram pushing me to do it. And it ended up being a very, very successful piece. But I think one of the, the strengths of the piece was that I wanted to make a piece that I knew I would never be able to dance myself. So everything about it in a way the hyper masculinity of it was mm-hmm. because uh, because it's just something that I could never dance, and and similarly, it, the way I dance is not something that those eight boys uh, are in a space to find yet. So it was really kind of, I guess, a negotiation of challenging myself to be creative out of my thinking box, looking at the dances I had in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fine balance of uh, uh, creating a work for them and at the same time, challenging them enough. Yeah.
0: Do you think there has been a pivotal point where you have gotten a better understanding on gender identity as a personal point of view and as a artistic point of view and sexuality? For both
1: yeah sure i mean one of the things i always say is that when i turn 40 i stopped saying i was gay and i'm queer why and is that i am very intrigued to know because uh for me personally i you know it's also a generational thing right uh you know i come from that that age group that came to london really just after the aids crisis was kind of at where it was mm-hmm. right uh, so I come to a t- I come from a place where I remember AIDS being something so confrontational. Uh, mm-hmm. I come from a place where I remember when uh, you know you could get treatment for HIV. I come from a place where I remember when PrEP came. I come from a place before grinder and Gator and all these kind of things that are so a part of, of of our culture now. It actually came from once being online, actually on an app and. Looking at all the boxes that I was told I should fit into in order to be liked. Yeah. It's a good and old realizing apps. that I didn't fit into any of those boxes. Yeah. And understanding that I was a minority within a minority community. And therefore, I almost became, to be honest, resistant towards the specificity of LGBTQI. Mm-hmm. And I just found that kind of feeling deeply that I was queer. And when I when I say queer, that I am incredibly nuanced, right? In, and, and I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and talking of actually about just sexual uh, attraction and saying, I would never want to be in a position where if I found a woman attractive, mm-hmm. then my head would say, you're gay and question me, you know? Uh, because if I talk about just being attracted to energies and bodies and stuff like that, I want to have that capacity to be absolutely open and embracing. And I just felt that, yeah, I felt it very limiting to define myself as gay because of what the world has made that term be. And it's quite a big, I mean, I really kind of, I'm quite strong believer about it. Yeah, that I am queer. And it's interesting because, you know, I spent many years, um, I never thought of myself as an androgynous performer. I realized I was androgynous when critics started to write that I was androgynous. I just thought I danced, right? And I remember, yeah, really. And I remember Judith McCrell in The Guardian defining me as androgynous. And I was like, what does that mean? Um, (laughs) And what age is this, if you don't mind me asking? 21, maybe 2021. Yeah. And, um, And I always talk about this notion of androgyny. Actually, a side note, many people don't know this, but I actually started, I had at one point started my PhD, which I never completed. And the the discourse was actually on renegotiating an alternative perspective to androgyny. Because I think usually what we do is we think of androgyny as, when we think of androgyny, we're very kind of aware of the two binaries of male and female. Mm -hmm. And I, for me, what is very interesting is the line that sits right in the middle where it is neither and it it is both. Say I feel that I am man, I am woman. I am neither and I am both. And what I do in performance, because most of my Bharatanatyam work is really, as I said, dancing courtesan repertoire. So we yes. this from a female perspective. I always say I don't try to impersonate a woman. I'm not creating a parody. What I try to do is I try to remove the inherent mas- masculine traits in my body. So I try, I, I try to find this place that is completely free of it. Is that because I was just
0: looking up and there's mm-hmm. there's nine emotions. Is it Navrasra?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: you said your work is predominantly. I'm gonna read this off the computer because I made the note. Is Shingara? Yeah. Is it was a situation that you decided to go into that and that work attracts an androgynous look or an androgynous feel or you know no, some sort the of that pocket. To
1: it was 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 very. Um was very organic. And it was really from the time I was 12, 13, 14. And I think the reason for my attraction to the, the, this element of shringara in, in Bharatanatyam uh, is that the repertoire that comes with it is, is it's about love, mm-hmm. right? And because it's about love, it churns out all the different kinds of emotions about love, which many of them are dark. And also because it's about love, it's really about human psychology. I thought it was about
0: erotic love. I do apologize. Erotic love. It is erotic
1: love. It is really erotic love, yes. But erotic love uh, is is the kind of, it's love into erotic love that hopefully then unfolds into something that is transcendental. Okay. Yeah. But because it deals with human psychology and and this is an important element, I think, is that um, I really started to rigorously delve in a particular process that was never about me acting out a role. What I mean by this is if I was dancing Radha, right, I don't try to play Radha. I don't try Mm -hmm. to become this 12th century character. I really, Mm -hmm. and increasingly so, of course, I really uh, understand the psychology of Radha in this particular text. And then for me, it's about Radha's voice being spoken through Maven. So it becomes a conversation of me as a contemporary young queer, well, young, old (laughs) queer person. (laughs) with this, with the voice of this text. So I always say, you know, sometimes people say, you know, oh, you're so honest. Well, I have nothing to hide because when I stand on stage, everyone sees everything about me. And that's what I want. I want them to, I want to, instead of constructing a performance persona, I want to strip all of it and be bad on stage. Which means that even in Chennai, Yes. the most conventional conservative classical traditional audience they see everything about urban queer maven on stage
0: have you ever had the because i wanted to segue into race as well and i wanted to discuss the times of india article when you did this performance and they said Chinese magic yeah and I wanted to bring up the two points which was basically in regards to have you ever felt I don't know if the backlash would be an appropriate word but hopefully you understand what I'm trying to get to being South Asian in this industry in terms of like having a minority syndrome or like you know sometimes being racially boxed or stereotyped and then being queer has has that have you ever felt like a backlash of that especially within the classical community and especially in
1: india um i've had of course i've had loads of it um and i will say it's predominantly by <laughs> ironically not by the classical community and definitely not by the indian community i will say it's predominantly by the pseudo-liberal artistic community in the west mm-hmm. i've never feel felt so foreign in my life because when we talk about cultural diversity it's very easy to try to, un, uh, to try to place it within the framework of skin tone, mm-hmm. right? But diverse thinking is complex. Agreed. Right? And so it's very easy to have a group of people sitting on a board or, or in a committee or or being programmed that have different skin tones, but all think alike. And I have a huge problem with this. And I come with a whole history that was brought up with a particular way to look at art, to think of dance, to think of being queer, all of it has its own history with it. And I remember one particular programmer, actually, uh, saying to me, you're weird. What does that mean? Yeah, what the fuck (laughs) does that mean? And who the hell are you (laughs) to tell me that I'm weird? And, And of course, it's also complex... Sometimes, even within, let's say, a a tension between someone like me, who has came from a a different generation, a different tradition of thinking, to even a young British South Asian person today here, Mm -hmm. who may be Indian, but has a very different uh, 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 way of thinking. And finding that that uh, uh, common dialogue is complex in itself. You know, so I always say it's ironic for me. Actually, in the most conservative, traditional spaces, I've actually felt the most lib- lib- liberalism, mm-hmm. and in the most liberal spaces, I found the most pseudo liberalism. It's a very. I'm gonna. I'm gonna write that word down. I love that
0: word, pseudo liberalism.
1: Well, you know, I, I I always say you know even when we talk about you know uh, uh, works of, that that are queer or that about club culture or you know and I sometimes I sit and look at this at these people who talk about it or write about it and I you know when you're kind of going, You have never been in a club at like nine o'clock in the morning, like in some underground like you haven't. Like don't read the Time Out magazine and try to tell me what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean?
0: at the staple of where you are today and the work that you produce, do you think young dancers need to have a basis of South Asian classical dances in them or ethnic folk dancing?
1: No, and I hate that expectation actually. I remember, I, I'll give you a good example. Someone a theatre saying to me, Oh, you know, we programmed this two day event of Indian dance and music we didn't have that many Indians come to watch it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just turned and I went, well, have you counted how many white people come to watch ballet? Like, why is this then assumption that if you put Indian dance, that it is Indian people that are going to see it? We're not going and, uh, you know, knocking on our neighbor's door. And, and if they're white saying, oh, you should go to see ballet because you're white. So I, this, yeah, I I've never kind of understood that, that, that um, expectation, because you're either inclined to love art or not, you're inclined mm-hmm. to love dance, or you're inclined to be creative or not. Let's say it this way, mm-hmm. right? And you're pulled to what you're pulled to towards. Yes, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, of course, when I see um, uh, um, really communities in in the diaspora, you know, like in East Ham or in Tooting or you know, the uh, Harrow and stuff like that, um, and the amount of dance classes, Indian dance classes that happen there and, you know, young kids going, of course there is a value and, and there's absolutely uh, a tremendous worth when young kids who are growing up in the diaspora have a sense of of um, a cultural anchor, if you like. But in the sense of if you are a performer is what you're talking about and you're mm-hmm. South Asian, it would upset me if South Asian, perform, uh, South, young South Asian uh, creatives felt that in order to validated they needed to do a bit of Indian dance to be authentic I think that's a huge problem I think my perspective have or has always been from the perspective
0: of there's a lot of South Asian performers that I know that will use the color of their skin tone or the fact that they're brown to fill quotas and to get in but in terms of having knowledge speaking the language knowing the culture or the actual heritage in terms of even if it's dance they have no clue about. And just because mm-hmm. you, they might go to a couple of Bollywood classes and they might know a dance, all of a sudden you look on their spotlight page and they'll say Kathak, expert. Yeah. Or like Bharat yeah. expert. And they'll be like, yeah. Are you? And but when it comes to hip hop, they'll go to like hip hop classes, like vigorously. And when it comes to like ballet, they'll go to Northern Contemporary or like Laban and they'll go and train at all those things. So I think that's where my question came from. Or even if, let's say, a commercial dancer who's South Asian decided to audition for Akram or yourself and they had no knowledge, that's that's where it came from.
1: Yeah. In that example that you just gave, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have an expectation for them to have that knowledge. If they have trained from Northern contemporary dance schools and they're shit hot, they would be accepted based on that. Because if they came in as Indian dancers, our standard of the kind of Indian dancer that would work with us would be so, would be you know really yeah. someone who is so uh, yeah. I, I you know and and if, if if they are going to be more rigorous with going to hip hop than uh, than in, than a uh, Kathak class. Maybe it's because they like hip-hop more. I get what you mean about, you know, ticking the box. But, you know, from my experience of all the actor fans I had, they do it anyway for everything. You go horse riding and it's like, yes. And I'm like, yeah, I went when I was five. Yeah, but there's such a loss of
0: culture. I think there's such rich tradition. Like, I wish I would have been allowed to experience so many things and been so many things. And I'm just, yeah,
1: maybe I think it comes from that. But I think if it's about culture, I think there are so many other things as well that are there that yes. for me are more important for them to become aware of and to, to be able to experience, you know? Because I think it takes, a, this is how I feel about training. And this is where when you talk about communities and teaching kataka or teaching Indian dance and some just it takes a very good teacher to impart the depth about culture to someone. Agreed. You know, so I guess, I guess, I guess, you know, it's, yeah, I just feel that there are other ways for them to kind of permeate themselves into that kind of sensory element of it.
0: In terms of when it comes to classical dancing, be it ballet, contemporary, Indian, or other regions that I'm just not naming right now, why is the education so expensive?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Firstly,
0: And secondly, do you think anybody can wake up, let's say in their 40s and 50s, and decide, you know what, I was never allowed to dance, I have had a passion for it, I saw this production, and I really want to start training in it, and I want to have a career in it one day and they might necessarily you know might be a little not physically in shape or you know the ability otherwise be there do you think like in terms of set wealth or other abilities like in terms of learning do you think yeah, that i mean happen? in terms
1: of the, the first question that you asked is yes. because dance belongs to a class classes elitist. you know that's where it is and it takes a, it it's hugely important that you because you know at the end of the day however much it, it takes a real conviction and a commitment to break that mm-hmm. that system, right? And artists are just too selfish to commit themselves completely to break it. I think because everyone is trying to have their own journey in that sense, and it's it's a complex. It's a complex. What you're asking is, but you do find spaces that are not that we don't know about based on this 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 industry that we sit in. That is mm-hmm. sitting in a village in Bali or Java, or sitting outside a, a, a village in Orissa, where yes. the children are beautifully trained, and it's it's nothing to do. So there are spaces. It's just that we don't know about them. I think that's an important factor to to think about. In terms of a mature a mature person getting into dance, absolutely. I have seen, I have seen some people who have never trained in their lives have tremendous physical facility. Everything is there. Where the challenge lies is whether they have that ability mentally and emotionally surrender to training. Because the beauty of dancing from the time you're a child is that it's very important. I'm saying if you want to go deeply to dance, it's very important to have a phase where you don't think and you just do. Could
0: you elaborate on that? Because you talk about it even when you're performing. And my question is going to be where you talk about just be.
1: Could you elaborate on that, please? In what, in terms of training or in terms of- coaching? Yeah, you said just doing. Yeah, where you don't question because the mind always questions. And when you, when you go into a place where it is about repetition, it's just about doing, it's about not understanding what the point is sometimes. Yes, uh, if you have a mind that is going to question all the time, that it is consistently going to limit the potential for you to embark on a process a necessary po- process that is just about repetition mm-hmm. and just doing right and and also allowing things to unfold in the time that it needs to unfold for you. It's very hard to do that as an adult, I agree. I very right. much agree. And yeah. that is the, and I know because I have had dancers come and train with me in Indian dance who have started off wanting to have in a way, I guess, a similar kind of intensity of training that I had with my guru, although they didn't live with me, but that kind of intense rigor. Um and have found it very difficult because they've come at the age of thirty or something like this. And by that point The mind it, has developed. The mind has the mind has developed to the point that every uh, everything has a question behind it, and of course, you know we, lo- we live in a world today that is very hard to trust as well, right? <laughs> yes, said that. trust is such an important. Trust is one I think one of the most important things psychologically, for, for on so uh, in how you're trained, in how you teach, in how you perform, in how mm-hmm. you understand your audience. Uh, trust is, is such an important part of it.
0: In terms of your creation now, shifting gears to that, it was very hard for me to find an exact answer to this. So I just want to ask this. You did mention on it, which is like, if something doesn't interest you, you don't do it. But I'm I'm intrigued in like, what triggers a creation? And let's say you've been funded by Sadler's Wells to do something and you've accepted it or, by another institution, like by the Bhavan Center or something like that. And and there are deadlines to me and there's things to that, but your head is just not in it and you have to create. How do you deal with that? So what I triggers do a creation? You just walk away.
1: I just don't do it. Honestly, I do. you're talking about my work, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I just don't do it. I'm just not, uh, I just... Are there just... consequences to that though? No, I wouldn't accept it. <laughs> but let's say you have, let's say you have, in this imaginary world, I would be able to produce something professionally because I understand what it is to be professional. But yeah. as an artist, I would know that inherently the audience will feel the inauthent- inauthenticity of the work. Has that ever happened
0: to you, if you don't mind me, I think?
1: You um, don't have to it name it. Not in a major way, but I remember like doing something. You know, I'm not a performer who dances. Uh, I don't think I'm the kind of performer who audiences will get something out of if I dance a piece that is 10 minutes, let's say. Okay. I am a performer who, who is very, um, it's, a, it's a journey with me. So it's either a full length show or minimum at least like a 30 minute piece or something like that. So I definitely, when I have uh, probably accepted something where I've had to fit into a context of, I don't know, a mixed bill or a gala or something like this, and I've been on stage or so the birthday
0: situation that you once accepted, and the was it somebody's daughter who ended up giving you money to run a business for two years and then you ended up creating your own company
1: yeah <laughs> yeah but i'm I'm just not that guy, so probably in those contexts uh, and also I think you know the more older you get, I've understood what uh, I've understood with a lot of humility the capacity I have and the responsibility I have uh because I know. When I am in it, the potential I have to touch, mm-hmm. um, and that comes with a lot of responsibility. I know that I have the potential to uh, to go somewhere or uh, in a performance space and hold it so that yes, I, I can make a thousand people cry. I know this. <laughs> oh I God. can. Oh God! I can in the right way. <laughs> But that comes with a lot of responsibility. Tremendous amount of responsibility. And so, once you start understanding those things, you know, uh, then doing things that don't touch and don't reach that level of, uh, you know, uh, feel, yeah, they feel insincere. insincere. And at, at this stage, then you kind of go, well, why, why, why? You know, it's like a good example I'll give you is many times people ask me if I will do and Indian dance work without live music, with recorded music. Oh, really? And I always say, no, I've never ever danced to recorded music for Indian dance. Because I know I can do it. I can yeah. execute a piece. But I know my strength as a, as a, with live music and my, my ability to improvise and you know all this kind of stuff, that the audience will never get really... What they've come for. But what um, going back to the first part of the question is what triggers a creation for you? Many times, to be honest, what has triggered a creation is a need to do something that i that has that has inspired. I've have had a very weird career. I've not, I've never. I I've I've always feel you've had I a I very
0: have, rich career. Can I just I say a rich
1: career because 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 I have been around and I have yeah. been consistently in practice. If you really look at the amount, for example, in London that I dance, I don't dance in London that much. I dance in India the most. Mm -hmm. The last time I danced the solo work in in London, a classical solo work, was like in 2017 or something like this. But uh, uh, so why I'm saying that is I'm not someone who is regularly funded like three times a year by Arts Council and uh, all this kind of stuff. I'm not. Um, Which, for me, has today given me tremendous sense of feeling uh, that I own my my journey. And so, yes, when I want to do something, if I read something and there's something about Sita that I'm absolutely intrigued in, honestly, I'm the kind who will go and get a loan and pay for it and do it. (laughs) When was Man to Monk? Wasn't that recent? That was, no, that was like 2018 or something.
0: Oh, I was trying to find a footage of that. I only found trailers. I'm not like, I was very disappointed because I wanted to see that before I was in I saw lots of your Piratna theme
1: solos, hours and hours of it. The piece that you should see me do, which is for me is still the piece that I will go back to dancing because it is a piece that I really Please don't say one like because I tried to find footage of it. It's that. a piece by a choreographer, a Spanish choreographer called Ivan Perez Aviles. Yeah uh, it's a piece, it's a duet that was that was restaged on me it was made for an amazing dancer marina mascaral and uh, and uh, christopher tandy and then it was restaged and uh, for me and i and a very young dancer he was 23 when he danced with me uh, and i danced marina's role so it was made on a woman and i ended up it was restaged for me dancing it's about a half an hour piece it's a it's a it's a duet piece and it was one of the most fulfilling experiences that i have ever had in my life it changed the way i danced. Say that one more time so we can all go watch it it's called kick the bucket and it's a duet that was made by ivan perez
0: okay i will I will put that on there and I might watch it tonight and I'll tag you
1: in it is it on is it on the youtube is it I on the national so. ballet you have Where to ask it? me very nicely if you can have a private link to it 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 was just a stunning piece and and uh I learned so much in that piece because when uh, there's a section in that piece where, you know, they're dancing, dancing, and then suddenly he starts to tickle her, but really start to tickle her. And when I was learning, when they came to stage it on me and they sent me the video, uh, as from the tickling, it's so extreme that she starts to cry. Anyway, she, start, she starts to cry and then it stops and it goes into silence and he picks her up and... And the, the subsequent section used to be called the blind section, right? Okay. And so I learned it. And then I remember trying to make myself cry. Yeah. Right? And having to work so hard. Ivan was so amazing. And then going into this section, which was the blind section. And I remember Ivan working so much with me. And, and Celia, an amazing ballet mistress. And finding the space where... I could let go of my ego because the reason I found out that the reason why I needed to cry was because my ego wanted to feel good about crying. Because yeah. I felt that if I cried at that point, my ego was saying, I I, I was such an artist to go there. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. it's interesting. I was like, what? So the ego is such a big part of us, right? And then to dance this section called the blind section, and Ivan kept saying to me, blind inside yeah you need to find a space that your whole energy your body is is blind and you know I talk a lot about this thing about not performing and being right yes. and this was the piece that guided me into a manner in which how I started to find that as an artist this piece it wasn't Bar it was this particular piece by Ivan Perez. yeah I, I think i think if there's one word that that really defines me it is um, unashamedly intense <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful yeah and i really say unashamedly because you're talking about feeling foreign right yes and the and the cultural the cultural uh, uh way of thinking that is different when i came to the west i remember someone asking me in, in, in a in a grand class, I think it was, something and I said and they were quite senior and I said, I'm so obsessed with dance. And they turned around and said to me, Don't ever say that. That's not good for you. Don't be obsessed, be balanced. <laughs> and they made me feel so bad about it, I remember. And as I've got older I have become so convinced and so proud of the fact that I have lived my life obsessed with dance and that I come from a tradition that was proud to be obsessed with dance and to be intense. And I say this, and you know, also again, as a queer man, as a queer man living here, it's probably been the biggest downfall for every relationship that I've had, right? That I, I'm i too intense, but that mm-hmm. is who I am. And it's taken me a long time and many years of therapy to come to a space to feel proud about the fact that I am an intense
0: man. When you say intense in the fact of like, when you are in love,
1: like you go for it, when you are. Everything about my life is, 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 is is fully, fully. (laughs) Emphasis on the word fully, fully explored. And I, and because of that, I, I, I feel very, very, if there's a reason why I can stand on stage and make people cry, it's because I have lived life,
0: yes. despite
1: the fact that I'm obs- I've been obsessed with dance. I have lived life. I have seen, I mean, people who have known me for a long time. I've seen every, every uh, you know, every high to every low, really. I mean, and and you know, I I, I experience. Um, uh, uh, as much as the dancing has been wonderful, I also in the industry I experienced tremendous rejection and tremendous uh, being out of fashion. Suddenly, uh, uh, I'm someone who really explored truly, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll at its at its most heightened state. And uh, and and whilst there are many things that, of course, um, one becomes more wise about, um, uh, I, I I lived it. You know and i and my body has something to say about it that is true that is not just read in a magazine question when you
0: say in regards to crying and when you're talking about life experiences and bringing it to stage in acting we learn about it like when we study practitioners from Stanislavski to breck that when you want to emote certain things and you want to go there you don't go to the personal when you have been made to cry because if you go to that feeling and you perform it your emotions can be shut off.
1: That's a perfect, that's a brilliant, I love the fact that you brought that up because that was one of my, my learning processes, right? And this is what I call technique. You right? just pinch
0: yourself before you go on stage and you cry. Just...
1: No, 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 no. It's the opposite because I remember dancing a piece, a Bharatanatyam piece, uh, about, mm-hmm. it was a lamentation actually uh, and really getting into it and I remember in the piece, really, you know, the tears just falling and blah, blah, blah. And leaving, finishing the piece and feeling so satisfied with myself that I had got into it and that it, and um, a very senior, wonderful artist came up to me and she said, Maven, why were you doing that? Because all it did was exclude me from the experience. All I did was, all it did was, it made me sit and just watch you, <laughs> right? Indulge. And so that's where the technique lies as an artist. How do you go on stage, immerse yourself absolutely, embody yourself absolutely, get to a space that you're able to reveal something, but have the technique that is about taking your audience into a space where they connect with it and that it is not just your journey. That's where the technique is. In order to find it, I think the only way way you do it is by doing many performances where you fuck up and fail. (laughs) <laughs> and that and that's important, right? I think the yes. most important lesson is to have the conviction to go on stage and fail. It's really important. And I think that conviction to um to, to to fail on stage is when the if you are honest about it, is when the audience becomes a part and of your journey and they want to follow your journey because they see that you are searching for something.
0: Having done so many roles and productions and things like that, and as a performer, the vanity, the ego, the failure aspect of it, do you think you you now can genuinely be in that space when you go onto stage and just be?
1: Yeah, after 10 minutes. Uh, absolutely, of course, when you first go on, still, you want to show. You want to prove. And yes. particularly, I always say, and this is, I, this is where I talk about the contract with an audience, with a classical audience particularly as well, uh, uh, you know, as a classical dancer, whether it's in classical ballet or classical Indian dance, you are trained to show, you're trained to be validated for, for showing something that is as close to perfection as possible. That's why the mentality is, right? In terms of how you are trained, that is mm-hmm. what the expectation of an audience is, to see how perfect you can be. Mm-hmm. And in order for you to take your audience to a place of the unknown, to a place where you can be creative, the imaginative and no rules apply you have to first you have to first prove yourself um and so that's a very important process and that's why i said that 10 minutes or sometimes 15 minutes is important halfway because, through the show yeah and it's also important that it's not immediate because then there's no trajectory right Yes, well. But that element of the contract, the invisible contract that is signed between you and the audience is a very, very, very important one. Extremely important one.
0: Do you, um, are touching, this thought just came to my head. Um, when you did those performances, there's a specific performance you talk about after you're them on a Monday at 2pm you performed and there were some comments in regards to you being the prodigy and all of the work that you've done that I've mentioned and managed to destroy the names of, I apologize. Um, Do you feel a sense of responsibility when you create work or when you do things for like, let's say Akram or your previous work when you did with Wayne McGregor? Uh,
1: I feel a tremendous amount of responsibility, yes. Uh, Of course, with Akram, absolutely. Uh, But I would say that sense of responsibility, and, and this is important to say, a lot of the things that we're talking about now I really want to share this with young dancers. Are things that have arrived now? So, why I say that is it's very important not to expect or assume that a young dancer arrives at all the things I'm talking about now in their 20s. The reason why I've arrived now is because I did all those things in my 20s. I went through a phase of being a narcissist, being a show off, being a virtuoso. Yes. All those things, super, super important, where it was about me and it's about about how much I love to dance. Because I did all of that and because it comes to a place then that you start to purge yourself of all those needs, mm-hmm. you then find a place where dance in itself is no longer about me. Uh, I always say for me now, dancing, my whole body is a construction of voices. It, I really feel this very strongly. Huh? Every part of my body, I hear my guru speaking. I hear Akram speaking. I hear my father speaking. I hear my mom speaking. I, it's a full of. It's like a harmony of choruses of of all the people that, yeah. And when I dance or when I teach or when I coach, I feel the responsible. It's Raymond's voice. I feel many times. I feel the responsibility of their voices and what and how. I share their voices to the person or the persons or the audience in front of me. You know, I, I almost religiously believe this with, with so much conviction about it. But mm-hmm. I arrived to this place because I had the privilege of doing and going through all those things before. As an Asian person from Asia, you are mm-hmm. brought up with a sense of duty and a sense of responsibility Mm-hmm. And there's a fine line between, I always say, knowing your worth and feeling entitled. And that line many times is crossed. And equally, there's such an importance about understanding that having a sense of duty and responsibility does not necessarily mean that you are worthless and voiceless. Having a loud voice does not necessarily mean always uh, that being passive Means. or silent is not, has no power Mm -hmm. because i think silence is one of the most powerful powerful things ever i've learned that
0: recently and in a weird example i wanted to share but i'll leave it oh tell me when i used to go on dates i always needed to talk or like create a conversation because silence meant boredom or like when you're in a room it's like nervous chatter but now like i love the silence yeah it's so nice whereas now it makes other people uncomfortable (laughs) and i And I'm like, oh, that's so cool Mm -hmm.
1: But I always say when I walk into a company, uh, a ballet company, to teach my first class I know that my first class is about proving to them that I have something to say about classical ballet Because I'm not white why do you think that is? Because there, because um, have you learned about semiotics? No. Semiotics is uh, this whole system, right? That uh, it's about codes, representational codes that people psychologically understand. Okay. So, for example, if I wear a bindi, and uh, uh, you know, that's Indian. Or if I, you know, I don't know, if my I, if I, my hair is uh, is is is, uh, is pink, uh, it's punk so it's it's a it's a re- it's a code relation right and the power of semiotics is is quite fascinating actually and the code, the representational codes that defined things like class things that have a sense of uh, familiarity
0: mm-hmm.
1: right classical ballet is familiar as an idea right and with that familiarity comes codes of representation that people think are associated with it mm-hmm so I don't fit into that, that code of representation, right? Similarly, I can tell you, if I'm going to do an Indian classical program and I have, and it's organized by an Indian promoter, let's say, and they come to meet me at the airport and they find me having a cigarette, waiting for them with my sunglasses and like uh, Doc Martens, I don't fit into the representational code of what they think you are. this, this Indian dance artist is going to be. Right now, when it comes to things like going and teaching a classical ballet class, you have to remember that most dancers are incredibly, and even myself, I would say, right, are incredibly um, protective, right, of their training space, yeah. And who and who shouldn't offer them information? Okay, trust is important, right? Again. So, so they want to trust the fact that this person who's going to tell you, you know, you need to you, you need to make sure that you don't sit on your supporting hip and blah 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 knows what the hell they're talking about because of our ego as well. Because fuck, who are you to tell me? Because I know my shit, I've been doing this for however long. Yeah. It is what it is. Because it's a whole culture that has been built over years and years that is global. Even if you go to Hong Kong mm-hmm. or if go to Malaysia, I can bet you if I was to walk in with a white female and I'm more experienced, right? The first possible uh, 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 habit would be to assume that the white female lady knows more about classical ballet than me. So I think it's 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 a it's a it's a patterned history. Now, for me though, the beauty is. And I've seen it many times that I can walk into a company class, and I can feel, you know, a few of the faces and a bit of attitude and stuff like that. And by the end of the class, those same faces are coming up to me and saying, "Thank you so much, that was amazing." That's for me where the strength is, and I say that it's very important because, because, and to young dancers, right? It's so important, right, guys? Not with all the in- because I can say through my life, I'm sure Raymond can as well, about so many things that were unjust and just stupid and ignorant it's so important never to allow the toxicity of injustice eat you up to become so furious with the injustice that it's become so toxic for yourself that you just stop becoming a nice person and there are such for me the way i've learned to really fight it is by saying is by saying okay you want you want to Hello. see what a class is like i will give you a class in the nicest way not in a confrontational way and to win them over by the end of that class that for me has a tremendous amount of strength I think I talked about this with Raymond as well which was in regards to um,
0: we talked about diversity and not just diversity in regards to just race and color it was in regards to abilities body shapes um, and so many other things do you think that the classical world and the contemporary world will get there where there is enough of that and there's not. that will therefore do a domino effect in regards to this perception, this
1: mindset, or not really? I think, if I'm honest, from my experience, the classical world is making more of an effort than the contemporary world. Okay. Uh, I think the contemporary world assumes that it is super inclusive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but actually has tremendous amount of prejudice within it. Uh, And I'll give you a good example. A classical ballet dancer probably feels more judged when they walk into a contemporary dance space than a contemporary dancer would feel when they walk into a classical classical ballet space. Um, Techniques? So many things. It's to do with insecurities. It's to do... It's it's lots of things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I would definitely say that I, from my experience, I have seen more of an effort come from the classical world. In terms mm-hmm. of being inclusive, in terms of audiences, in terms of how, okay, there's definitely today a sense of awareness that there's something that's not been working. Yeah. And I think the problem with the contemporary dance world is, is, is as I said to you just now, that they, <laughs> there are a bunch of fucking pseudo liberals that run it. What else can I say? So if, you're too, if you think you're so bloody liberal and you just don't even understand that, man, half the issues are coming from what you're saying.
0: I always wonder when it comes to the production aspect of it, how much um, involvement do investors and funders have in regards to the little middles of like, oh, this dancer should be hired. Oh, this person is a consultant of this one. Okay, we're going for this look. Oh, wait, why?
1: Oh, really? Tremendous. Producers. Producers and programmers are bastards. So how do you challenge that as a i as don't a... i don't get i don't i don't sit in that i don't sit in that world Sudeed. i don't <laughs> and the, and the thing that I love the most about Akram I love him so much because of this is be, and why I am with him is because yeah. he's a rare being that today and of course people will say well he can afford to do that but actually I know many people who have reached that particular stature and have lost that integrity Akram will start his day with his katak training, which takes three hours. And the most important of important of importance of producers can fly from New York and come and see him. And he will say, I need to do my katak class first. You sit and wait outside. Oh, really? And that for me lies, that integrity that I love him so much. And so I sit in a very, very safe space, with him because he doesn't allow that kind of uh uh, uh imbalance in our workspace for him the art is the, the most important thing yeah so i'm i'm very i'm very spoiled because I, I i'm very safe that way and as i said with my own work i just refuse to work with industry i don't
0: but do you not think i do hate to and feel free to challenge me with this it does come from the the position of where he is because as as a let's say a young person coming into this industry if you have a funder meeting and you're trying to create i don't know go to is it resolutions the festival and somebody's supporting you and um if revolutions or resolutions, I resolutions. Always mix them up. yeah i always mix them up with the bar. Yeah, sorry i always say guys want to go to resolutions <laughs> and reps um it, you can't miss a meeting like at nine o'clock if funders are coming to see you and things
1: like that. Well, that, the thing is, what I will say with him is, you have to remember that I have known Akram and I have known each other since I was 19 and he's 21. I know Akram before he had a penny. He was exactly the same then. <laughs> exactly the same. What can I say? That's <laughs> there's, I nothing more to, there's nothing more really, to that's say. That's why I love yeah. him so much. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's
0: always this perception of bend yourself or, I don't know, the proceedings
1: of your career. But it comes, that's why I'm saying to you, my love, it comes from the reason for me, I think also why Akram has that is because we were brought up in a very similar way. Akram, whether he has a saddest world, so, you know, for me, it's so funny, you know, because he's, he's, going, to, he's uh, going to stop performing solos, you know? And we were talking about it for the external Western world. It's such a big thing because their assumption of him not dancing on those, big stages is an assumption that he is going to stop dancing which of course he is not because the stages regardless of how successful he has been have not defined him what defines Akram and I know him for so many years is his mother his wife his two kids and his daily Riyas that is who that man is and he will be dancing every day for the rest of his life because there's no way he cannot breathe without that
0: It's interesting you bring that up. And I was looking into your history and you talk about your grandmother being so creative and then yourself and your siblings being so supportive. And you talk about this beautiful story where you do a performance and this actress comes backstage and she wipes off your makeup and she gives you her, her necklace and she gives you her bindi. And I, And you talk about so many stories like that. But I always wonder if you take away And I ask this to every single person. If you take away the support of, which I personally think is the basis of any creative person, the support of your group around you, and if you take away your faith and your grit in yourself and your physical element of who you are as a person and some of the jobs, would you still continue to do what you do?
1: Listen, I mean, this is why I keep saying all the time that I'm so aware of it, is that I come from a tremendous place of privilege. And... What irritates the bejesus out of me is when I say sometimes when I'm talking to young people, I really mean many young people that I feel come from an equal place of privilege and don't understand that privilege. Because of the fact, as you mentioned, there's so many, like you mentioned, (laughs) who don't have that support.
0: I mean, I'll mention it from my side. I don't have
1: that. Right. So it's so important to, yeah, I don't know, to be honest, if you ask me. I mean, would I still have had the career I had? Probably not. No. I mean, it starts from the start that 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 I had a, fa- a father and mother who, who allowed me to leave the country and go and live in a in a completely different country for seven years. So, yeah, probably not. My 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 destiny would have been very different. Do you believe in destiny? I've been questioning it recently. <laughs> I'm a last... huge believer of
0: destiny. I am, but I I think I'm very lost right now. So I I'm I'm having problems with destiny right now. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> But yes, you believe in destiny, and you had a point, so go ahead. Well, I
1: mean, I just, you know, for me, obviously, it's self-reflective. But uh, there's so many things that that happened in my life that there's no way they could or should have happened, and they did. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for me, they must have been destiny, good and bad, you talk
0: about where at some points, like in 2017, and I think in 2007 when you went back home, right, to Malaysia, and you also talk about like living on scraps, like eating pot noodles, which I've done as well, and I love that. Um, love a bit. Listen, of my- <laughs> I remember spending
1: one Christmas and like having enough money to go to bloody Iceland and get like some, <laughs> some shitty 99p. But you know what? I had so much fun. I lived with my it's best. It's life.
0: Friend. People don't understand that. I lived with my that. best
1: friend in, on bunk beds. Yes, you right? said that. In in Newington Green and I don't know how neither of us ever got beaten up because you like we were like off our face most of the time. That's when you <laughs> had the energy to to come back at seven in the morning and still end up in ballet class at ten in the morning and literally go like, Okay, babes, like I met someone, so you come back an hour later and all that shit. I mean <laughs> Listen, those were hey, th- there's also the
0: days of cruising which, you know, still exist. But um Do they? I think Ryan, took all of that out. No. Oh my God. I so don't want to say this on live, but the other day, okay. So I had Sunil Gupta on here. I don't know if you know him. He's the guy who did this beautiful exhibition on Tate. He does things with queer identity. He's HIV positive. um, And he talks about cruising and he talks about, he he was very explicit in his sexual experience conversation with me, but he told me about cruising and he told me Hampstead Heath and I was like, okay, Hampstead Heath's not that far away. Went there. Have you never been to Hampstead Heath?
1: No, I didn't know that still existed. So it's I went, like to old school. Isn't firstly, that like a isn't guys, that like a graduation college that everyone? I didn't has to go know. To? Listen,
0: I did not know. And from there, I found other situations. Nothing happened, by the way, in Hampstead Heath. I just want to say that not during <laughs> COVID times, please. But it was it was hilarious. And people were walking by in their masks, and I was like. You're doing action <laughs> in your mouth. I was like, what is the point? But so that oh, was, a but um, you talk about Marie Saint Clair talking to your other teachers and like you know doing a deduction on classes, and you were able to do two dance classes at Dance Works
1: and things like that. Yeah. So it's it's not like you haven't lived that life. Oh God, yes, absolutely. I'm um, listen. I'm still living that life. You know, and you won't believe yeah. how broke I am. But um, yeah. And as I said, you know, I know, I, 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 I remember Akram also, You know, many people forget that Akram as well came from a. He was not always successful like this, which is the beauty. Yeah,
0: you know. I'll just ask you this question before we get into games. How do you balance? I watched you, and I've, I feel like you've been my study for the last week. And I feel like as a creative, your mind never shuts off. Like, we're not regular 9 to 5s. We'll probably finish this live. You'll probably go on to something. I'll probably go on to something. I've
1: got a class at 10,
0: 10.30. Damn. And, like, you know, when you talk about the intensity and you being so intense, how have you managed to balance so i tell your you something career. really funny yes go i
1: tell you on. something really funny my father um, who is no longer with us and i was his I, I mean i was his favorite and my father was is a was an, that's not nice said, to say no, you were paper and i always said it <laughs> in front of them um uh, but you know he was a real intellectual genius my dad he was a historian and i remember when i was younger I, he you know, he'd he always with the type to do and then i you he would watch the most I mean, the most rubbish, like, temp- like, he, my father's Chinese and he watched the most horrible Tamil serials or, like, Chinese Kung Fu show, but, like, not the good ones, like, really shit ones, right? And I'd be always like, why are you watching this crap? I mean, like, uh, and he would say to me, because I need my mind to rest. And I, if you ask my friends, my the thing that I will do almost every night, religiously, is watch oh, Wendy Williams. Oh, my God. And... <laughs> A, an, an episode from one of the Real Housewives.
0: I get slashed for watching Real Housewives of Atlanta. and I watching love Atlanta. D- did you watch the one on Sunday? It was. Did so you good. watch the reunion? Yeah, um, of course. It's getting. I did. It's getting a bit re- boring. It's getting a bit boring. I need well, them this, to step it up. This year's
1: one is it's very much about like yeah sexual pro- promiscuity or something. But um, that's boring. how I balance it, and I absolutely no remorse about the trash that I watch. I agree with you. I have like no remorse whatsoever. I was going to say, how do you
0: balance that and family, friends and things, but (laughs) and relationships? I don't
1: have many. I have, I have, I don't have many friends. I have a lot Mm. of acquaintances. I have a few extremely close friends. And when I say extremely, I don't, I hate the word friends because it doesn't define who they are. They are by and I as I got older, I became very, very... my. I've become very close to my family. Um, I left home young, right? So I took my family for granted for many years. Many, many years. Yeah, from my mid-30s, I became very close to them. I realized how important they were. And then, of course, when my dad passed, which was a horrible, just horrible. Yeah, I think we've become even more closer, I would say. So, hmm. yeah.
0: Well, that is the part of the interview done and we're gonna go on to some games. So are you ready? I feel so proud of myself. Okay, yes. You should, you should. This is the section, which is called
1: <laughs> Sip a
0: play with rye. If you want to play, you play with rye. If you don't, you sip your child. So I'm gonna start with the easy section, which is called, if I was. So I was to say, if you were a color, what would you be? And you can say, black there you go all right we're gonna start off with if you were a movie okay there was an original movie about you what would the title of that movie be it's a rapid fire round maven that's it it needs just maven that speaks enough maven uh who would star in it me of course are you gonna play yourself It's it's interesting how many people want to play themselves in a movie I would think they want some like big shot actor or something like that. What would the plot line
1: of this movie be? Oh my God, it would be hectic. Proper like, okay, I, I give you those five words, right? It's always my life. is about love, sex, God, loss and dance. It's like, like a, Can you imagine how long this movie would be? It could
0: be a TV series. We could, we'll take it to Netflix
1: afterwards. Um, what would the title song of this movie be? Okay, so I would probably like I would probably like uh commission like a really cool underground DJ someone like Pac UX someone like that. you yeah. Like to uh to create a new like track that would be a combination of all the different kind of like uh, opposite like from he- class from Carnatic music like to Bach and Tchaikovsky and Swan Lake and all the shit. Yeah. If uh w- what
0: w- oh my God why is that gone blank? Um, if you were a drink, what would you be? Ginger ginger beer. I don't know why I said that. Is <laughs> that like ginger tea? Um, if you were a food, what would you be? A salmon. Have you not watched Seaspiracy? No. You should. Why? Because you'll know. Uh, watch it okay. and then talk okay. to me. Yeah? Okay. Message me after. Okay. Okay. If you were a holiday destination, what would you be? Ibiza. Ibiza. The club part or like the family section? The cool club part. <laughs> that okay. not many people know of. I haven't... I've been... Always Vita and I've always done performances. It's always made the family section. I've never been to the club <laughs> side. It's so sad. Um, if you were a dance pose, what would you be?
1: If I was a what? A dance pose. You have absolutely, to do it. Absolutely no, no, no. It's just simple, simple. Absolutely neutral, parallel feet. Just a line, just a single line. You have to do it. You do know that, right? You do know I can say no, right?
0: You do know this is not a free country, right? <laughs> you do know I can just go
1: yeah but that'll be
0: that'll be really sad to your viewers who 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 have really nice perception
1: of you no i really want my viewers to have the imagination to close their eyes now and just picture me in a beautifully aligned parallel you do know there are sections where you have to dance have you not ever watched you do know that i know about this and i'm just going to ask you to dance instead no because i have retired um if you were a clothing item what would you be Oh, Pratt, no, McQueen, of course. Ah, when he was alive or after his passing? So I met McQueen many times. Uh, I've got a beautiful story about McQueen because McQueen used to come clubbing a lot. Uh, yes, and, he did. Uh, yes, he did. And one day, today, because I was wearing my glasses, so I don't, usually I have, uh, I wear eyeliner every day. Okay. Um, and once <laughs> I was in an amazing club, that is no longer that, called Fiction, which is sort of Friday nights in King's Cross. Yeah. Uh, and I was dancing. I was wearing this beautiful white shirt that was buttoned up. And then I was dancing. And then McQueen saw me from the corner of the room. He was standing by the DJ and he called me towards him. And then he um, he looked at me. He lifted my chin. He saw that I had cold. And he said, that looks very good on you. You should wear that every day. Oh. And then he turned me around and he took my shirt and he tore my shirt from the bottom right up to the top so it split in the center. Okay. And it showed my back, basically. Um, and then he went, that's much better now. And then he, yeah. So I've got a story. I've got, I've got it somewhere, actually, the shirt that was tore, ripped by... Um, McQueen. McQueen, yep. Um, firstly, that's I
0: always say it's a very rookie thing to wear white. In this instance, I will make an exception. Because okay. drinks drinks. If you were a real housewife, and I've just made this up on the spot. If you were a real housewife, what would your tagline be? Kenya Moore, of course. <laughs> yeah, but would you ta- Oh, yes!
1: Why does everybody hate Kenya Moore? I love Kenya oh. Moore. Kenya Moore hair care. Um, if, what would your tagline be? Uh, They think I'm intense, but they haven't... Got a sense. Fuck. <laughs> they think I'm intense, but they haven't felt... Yet or some shit like that. I don't know.
0: Wow, wow. Well, well, I wonder who you'd be like married to, or would you be a friend of, or situations like I'd that. I'd probably be
1: on like divorce number three, like still like fighting over the child and all that shit. Yeah, you'll be probably like one of the countesses from New York. Oh my god! But New York is. The- I love Atlanta, but New York
0: is so funny. Because it's just so funny. No, you need to watch Beverly Hills recently because what's her name? She's going through a divorce and she did that fight. But she's like, what oh, are you going I love to her, say?
1: Really? What, are you, what will you say exactly? I where love her. J- what's
0: her name? Uh, Erica Jane. Erica Jane. Love Erica Jane. Uh, we could just talk about this all the time. You hit us far right now. I am so sorry to interrupt again. But we were just doing the section, which is called Sip a Chai and Play with Rai. And in the game sections of the show, there are some segments which are visuals, so it would not have made sense on podcast form. So if you would like to watch any of the visuals (laughs) or the video, simply go to YouTube and just type in Chai with Rai to find the relevant episode. Also, I will link everything in the bio or the description below. But without further ado, let's get back to the end of the show. All right. Well, that was the game section. So thank you so much for
1: participating in that. I really appreciate it. Listen, meet me face to face if we have a game, like a proper game. I am here for that.
0: Okay,
1: last quick question. What words of wisdom would you give to your mirror self today? Yes, I don't give words of wisdom. You just, you give this. I don't have it. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't even feel that I have the right to give words of wisdom. But, um, uh, but the only thing I would say is ta da Okay. (laughs) Live your life. Okay. Um,
0: Peaks and valleys is a question I have to ask everybody. And please do answer. Um, A peak is a high point of your life. And what was it? Mm -hmm. Personal professional. What you learned from it? A valley
1: is a low point of your personal professional life. What was it? And what lesson you learned from it? I've had a lot of peaks, I think. Um, All of them would have been artistic. I know it sounds cliche coming from me. But what I've learned from it is just to fucking feel so grateful for them.
0: Uh For those moments,
1: right? Lows, I've had lots as well. Um, All of them personal. Yeah. Uh, What I've learned from them is two things, right? The one that doesn't sound so nice is whoever says that life is not full of regrets is talking shit. Life is full of regrets. I have a full list of things that I wish I done differently, i would said differently, yeah, Yeah. loads of things. I always ask this, what's the gift to every
0: single person's future? Like, what is it? Because, you know, as young dancers growing up, sometimes we're like, oh, we want this, we want that, or we want validation, or we want this. Like, what would be the gift for you in the future? You've lost sight of that, and now you simply are in the moment, and you've surrendered
1: to the journey. I think one of the things that I am learning more and more with young people is to not judge. And I found that very hard. Hmm. It's really easy as a person, as you start getting older to, to have this mentality of, you know, it sounds cliche, right? But uh, young people these days. Young yeah. People, younger. And if anything, what I've really learned in the last year with the pandemic is the necessity to be humble and listen. I think listening has, I've, I've learned to listen much better now. And because I've learned to listen, it has had a huge impact and a shift in terms of how I teach uh, how I think, um, how I guide. Yeah, so that's been important, I think.
0: Um, I put up
1: a, a question
0: to ask you, and one of my friends really wanted this so i'm just going to read it out to you and um she basically asked she's a pratanathian dancer and she um, she's studying odyssey and she said what are your thoughts on upcoming classical dancers in the uk and a general advice on how to build mental resilience as a classical dancer
1: uh, it's very hard for me to talk about uh, 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 classical dancers in the uk because i really honestly the uk is just if you're talking about developing a career as a classical dancer within what we've been talking about, this industry thing. The industry is run by a whole bunch of idiots. They're yeah. Just, yeah. So I, 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 for me, to keep your sanity and your ability to immerse and stay passionate with your dancing, please think of the success of your dancing, not in terms of performances. Love going for class. Like, really love going for class. I think that's so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm uh in terms of mental surround yourself with very good people right Mm -hmm. that give you an emotional strength because unfortunately from this is what i feel you have to be able to face rejection to face uh, a lack of validation all those bad things that no one wants to experience you have to experience the difference is which we were saying is when you're privileged or when you're blessed enough to be with surrounded by a cat, and that doesn't mean your other dance friends many times. and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't even mean your family, but but surround yourself with the right kind of support <laughs> that's, that's my words of wisdom
0: well everyone that brings us to an end and i hope you enjoyed that i want to say a massive thank you to the guest for joining me for being so generous with their time and for being so open as well i want to say a massive thank you to you for listening and supporting Make sure to comment, share and subscribe if you enjoyed that episode. Share it with your uncle, your auntie, your neighbour, your co-worker, that random person you like to dial on for a booty call. You know the one I mean? But really, your support means a lot and it helps the show and the message of it grow. As well, you can find the pre-recorded live version on YouTube. Simply type in chai with rai to find the relevant episodes video i will pop all of the information down such as the guest social media their website alongside that in the bio in the description make sure to show all of that some love too that's it for now until the next episode i wish you all love and light breathe in breathe out (laughs) Namaskar, which means now i must go again copyright it until the next time everyone stay curious